Welcome to the Time Machine. Experience the cancer journey through the eyes of the traveler. All right, we are live. Let's do this. So, Nate Green, welcome to the Time Machine podcast. Thank you. It's a it's an honor to have you. So, uh, to kick it off, I guess I'll start with how how this how we got from meeting to here, which I met you on We Burn Like This. You were a production assistant on that film. Mm-hmm. And Volunteer, my wife, too. Well, look at that. How nice of you. Yeah. Um, how did that uh, come about? And then that's how I met you was through that. My wife was working on the film. Mm-hmm. And then she told me your story, your cancer journey. Mm-hmm. And so um, we met and... I asked if you'd come on and kind of walk me through that journey, and you said yes, so excited to have you. Thank you. Um, but let's start with the movie. How, how, did, how did you get started there? Uh, I got started because for years, my mom, I mean my family in general, but mainly my mom, she's known that I want to be involved in movies really at any capacity, but they don't really come around Billings very often, and she just happened to get a flyer. I think someone left a flyer at her store at, at Rocky, and... She passed it along to me, and it was an it was a casting call, and I'd never done an audition or anything, and I kind of went with the intention of just getting involved. I didn't really care if I got a part or not. I just wanted to go down there and talk to them, and see if we you know matched and if it would be a, a fun thing, and if I, if they even needed help. And so I went down, did the audition anyways, and they did offer me a part like a month later, even though it was super minor, not a speaking role or anything, but they were like, yeah, we'd be, we'd love to have you in this part and we'd love for you to, you know, volunteer your services. And so I basically just went and did anything they needed. It was awesome. Excellent. And, um, and since we got a chance to talk a few times since then, I realized that that was a big thing for you to kind of step into, Mm -hmm. to that. So, um, I guess if we go back to, what was it? 2011? 2011. Why don't yeah. you give a little bit of a, a run-up to to what happened before you walked in and and got news that your journey was going to be uh, an eventful and dangerous one. All right. Well, let's say six months. Well, so I was diagnosed in September. I was diagnosed on September 19th, 2011. And maybe a year before, I was junior in high school, you know, 16 at the time really did not like high school. I thought it was, it felt like daycare. And I was looking into a number of schools. I knew at this point that I wanted to be involved in film and basically thought that film school was the only avenue. And I was looking at these schools and basically all of them that I talked to, they were like, no, you you don't need to graduate. You can get your GED and just come here early if you wanted. And so that was kind of my plan. So I Got the GED in in 2011, right after I was 17. Got a job that summer because I needed money so that I, you know, could survive while I was in school. And basically, right as at the end of July of 2011, I started feeling I'd been working at Target for like two weeks, was exhausted all the time, but figured, well, you know, I'm not used to being on my feet eight hours, so it's probably nothing. Another week went by where, or I guess this would have been end of August. Another week went by and 
I hadn't really noticed at this point, but I wasn't eating very much. I just knew that I had to force myself to eat, and the only reason I really knew I was losing pounds was because at one point I was supposed to help this guy lift a TV into his into his car, and he was like baffled. Like, how is this kid going to... He's 125 pounds wet. <laughs> and, I mean, I probably... I was like 130 at the point, but I still took offense to it because I didn't like being thin. And uh, near the end of that week, I started having some weird pains inside, and I knew that my dad's biological mom, she had diabetes, and so I thought maybe I'm, I'm getting a diabetes now because I'd also eaten a lot of like sugar and stuff like this at this or at that point, and uh, that's this would have been a Friday when I started getting these pains. The next day, I, I was feeling all right, and it was a day off for me. And my dad's family was going to be going to Red Lodge for just like a day trip. I think there was a parade or something. I don't remember, but we took the drive. It was a fine. I mean, I felt hundred percent fine. There was nothing wrong with me. By the end of that trip, you know, as we were driving home, have you ever gone on a road trip and like whether it's the start or the big or the you know the trip home, you just start feeling like you're getting a cold, like you had a long day, you're exhausted, you just start feeling sick. Yes, I started feeling sick on that drive home. By the time I got home, I had a fever of 102, which I had to work the next day, but at that point I was like. Fall was just a bit starting, and I tend to get sick as as the seasons change, so not a huge deal. I figured I'd have a fever for a day or two, and then I'd get over it and go back to work. So I called off the next day, but I had a fever the entire day into the night, so I had to call off the next day. And, you know, two days turned into five days until at the end of the week when fevers were getting worse, and... You know, obviously I was in not great shape. My mom basically dragged me to the doctor and or to same day care, and they took some blood. They said, "Yeah, you're anemic. We're going to treat you for pneumonia. Everything will be fine. We'll call you in an hour or so, and you know, give you the results." Or I think they said that they'd call me later that day and give you the results. So there was no worrisome words or anything like that so my mom and I left we went home and like an hour later I don't I think it was that doctor that we saw or it was her her nurse or something like that but they called and they said you guys need to go to this doctor at this in the cancer center which at that point I hadn't been in because there's no reason for me to go in even though it's not just for treating cancer I didn't have a reason to go there so I didn't realize it was the cancer center. And so they said, you need to go see this doctor. And yeah, he's going to see, he's going to see you. And they said, you need to go right now. And so we went and this was like three o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. So everybody's getting ready to leave. At least most of the doctors are. So we went over there and I live like a block away. So it was a really quick walk. Wasn't feeling too well, but oh well. On the way in, saw that it said cancer center up on the building. Still was like, oh, well, they just put that there. It doesn't mean anything for me. But on the elevator ride up to the third floor, I made a joke 
that made my mom mad, basically just joking, like, oh, you know, what if I have cancer? Made her mad. We walked into the third floor, you know, greeting area. Didn't have to wait for a doctor or anything. We basically sat down for 30 seconds, and nurse came back. It's like, oh, yeah, they're ready for you. Went back, sat in the doctor's office. It was the shortest waiting times I've, I've ever had in a doctor's office. Almost immediately as we sat down, this older doctor... It's Dr. Santella. He's, I, don't, I think he's retired at this point. He walked in, not looking too happy, and his PA walked in behind him with a super bright red face. And when they walked in, I was kind of like, man, they must have just come from the worst appointment. And I was, I don't know, I, I felt weird because I just felt like they must have had a really troublesome time. But then he sat down, you know, introduced himself and asked about the fevers said that they'd been a, a week-long endeavor. And he was like, well, you know, there's no sense beating around the bush. It looks like you have leukemia. And at that point, I knew why her face was red. And I, I don't, I mean, for like a brief, brief moment, I, it was almost like he told me I was going to die. And I had this like glimpse of the void of, of what I hoped, I still hope, death isn't. And it was like, you know, the fastest moment of time you could think of that, that I saw this. And then, you know, questioned if maybe there was a mistake. They said, no, probably not. Like, it, it is possible, but the way it's showing up, it does not look like this is a mistake on our part. And immediately my mom left the room to call my dad, which was kind of a big deal at the time because... My, my parents are divorced and they haven't had the greatest relationship, so my illness kind of brought some unity to, in the family. And I was in the hospital within an hour. IV in the arm, they'd scheduled my surgery for the next day, and I'd be getting chemo the next day. VIP? Oh yeah, VIP. And the, you haven't seen the, uh, the inpatient cancer rooms, have you? At Billings Clinic? I don't know. At the actual so. hospital on the fourth floor? They're really nice. Yes, no, I have. Yeah, I visited you know, a friend of mine, Sheldon, when he was he was in there. Yeah, right on the fourth. What do you think of the rooms? If it's if it's the rooms that that I was in, they were very nice. They were very nice, absolutely. Yeah, yeah they were very very nice. Um, yes, the uh, I think it would have made the same. It was uh, when you say uh, are they specific for those in the in the cancer ward to go there? Is that why you? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's it's inpatient cancer care, so okay. you basically get it if... That's what the ICC it's like, is. It's like the fourth floor is almost, at least this section is reserved right, for so cancer patients. That makes sense. Yeah, which is really nice, because at one point, years later, I had an appendectomy, and I didn't get one of those rooms, and so <laughs> I really appreciated how nice those, those rooms up there were. Yes. Yeah, we were, we were in... We were... Um, an emergency room the other day, and they were going to keep us there mm-hmm. because there was no other rooms, and it was it was not the most uh, pleasant place to spend a, uh, an evening. But then they they put us into the ICU, and it was it was like a bed and breakfast. Yeah. Good lord! <laughs> yes. So when you saw the cancer center for the first time, that brings back memories because I remember walking in mm-hmm. and seeing you know cancer center and. You know, I'd never noticed it before, even though I'd been around there many times. Yeah. Or maybe 
you notice but you don't think about it because it doesn't apply it, yeah, to yeah. you. I, I, I don't remember when it finished being built, but I remember when they were building this huge, you know, it's a big building. And, I mean, I live, like, right there, right. so I could walk past it and see the words. I just never did. So, actually walking in and seeing that. Well, how did you process that, then? Once once you were told, this is, this is I mean, it was so quick for you, you were mm. right into treatments. I don't um, know, there was a massive shift in in kind of the way I thought about everything. Like, at the time, I was in a relationship that was not going well. Not good at all. I, there was, I shouldn't have been in it. And you were 17? I was 17. Okay. And, like, after that doctor's appointment, you know, they said, we gotta get this room ready, you go home, give an hour, get your things together, because this might be a pretty long stay. You might be there for a month. And so we went home. My mom had called my dad, who then called me. I talked to him for a little while as they were driving down to visit me. And, like, you know, my whole family was basically getting together to walk over to the hospital or drive over to the hospital. And on my walk home, I tried calling uh, the girl at the time, the girl I was seeing, and she didn't answer. Left a voicemail. She then called back a little bit later and was apologetic because that was, it was just not a great relationship. But once chemotherapy started, or I'd say even that night, like I wasn't willing to put up with any shenanigans anymore. So (laughs) at one point she kind of got mad at me for a stupid reason while I was in the hospital. And I was like, it really was a stupid reason. And so I, I was no, no more. I cut that relationship out. And I was also ruled by insecurities, a lot of insecurities at that point. And they just kind of, like, they didn't matter anymore. I felt almost invincible it was in a weird way. Like, they were telling me I was going to be losing my hair. They were telling me I was going to be feeling horrific, that I'd be losing weight, all these different things. And, and then I was going to be there for a month. But I ended up leaving in 10 days. I put on, like, 20 pounds. <laughs> and I felt awesome. Maybe not physically all the time, but... Psychologically, I felt awesome. And, um... What do you think? I don't know, because the things that I'd been worrying about for years at this point, really just... The perspective shifted so Mm -hmm. fast, I just realized that they didn't matter. And, like, I still feel... Maybe I'm narcissistic, but that's kind of where it comes from. Like, I, I put so much worry into what other people were thinking for years... That when, I mean, my survival was on the line, I had to do everything I could to keep myself alive. There was no reason for me to really put on a show or yeah. or for me to feel like I was a certain way in people's eyes. So. Yes. When I, I was diagnosed August 20th, so it's been a year ago. Or no, August 6th, I think it was, and August 20th, I think was our first treatment. Gotcha. And I remember going in... And, that in, and they gave the list, all the pages to read through of all the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like five pages of of things. And it was one, oh, I mean, just all. And I remember going, this feels like I'm looking at a menu. Yeah. And so I just said, no, thank you. I'm, <laughs> I, I don't choose any. And well, she goes, it doesn't work that way. And I said, 
okay, I'll take this one. It was fatigue. Yeah. And I said, oh, I'll take that one, but that's it. That's all I want. And she goes, I wish it worked that way. Yeah. The, the, the bombardment of information that you get at the start is ridiculous. I mean, you said that Cassidy, like, she has all this stuff down, right? Yes. See, my mom, she was, like, taking notes all the time. I mean, that first night that I was in the hospital, it was like I was checked in. They got the IV. And then there would be my main doctor coming in telling me, you know, here's the chemotherapy protocol. Here's the everything, everything you can imagine. Like, here's what you need to eat. Here's how much you need to eat. Here's what to stay away from. Even things like, oh, you know, when you're on this, stay out of the sun kind of thing. And the radiologist would come in and he's talking to me, telling me, oh, you know, you're young. So I need to talk to some other doctors around the country about whether it's a good idea to give you radiation. And, you know, there's so much information. I didn't, I feel like I didn't listen to any of it because, or I didn't retain any of it. And luckily my mom was there to retain it. But I don't know, like I was told I I might die like two hours ago. And now they're giving me like way more than one college lecture. Now you want me to do a math problem? It's like, (laughs) I mean, I think the roast of Charlie Sheen was on at that point. And I was just listening to it and. I actually had a dream, like, may have been that night. And this is kind of speaks to the change in my, and just the way I dealt with life at that point, because I was definitely not happy. And on, I think, in the roast of Charlie Sheen, one of the roasters was Mike Tyson. Mm. And I had a dream, you know, I don't even know if I'd say it was a dream. They gave me opiates that night because I was going to be getting surgery in the morning. And I, I don't know, they wanted me, they want you to be comfortable. And so I ended up nodding off and had like this vivid thing, vivid little dream of Mike Tyson sitting in my room lecturing me about how I need to step out of my life. And I think the next day I broke up with my girlfriend at the time. And yeah. So you blame, you blame that on Mike Tyson's advice? No, I, I, I will credit him. I won't blame him. It was a good idea. That's good. That's good. So when you, you mentioned the roast... Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the Charlie Sheen madness was going on at that time. Yeah. And, um, now we were talking about that just a minute ago about, about, um, when you get your chemo mm-hmm. or when you got your chemo and you called it tiger blood, tiger blood, even one of the, the drugs, Dr. Rubison was like this super deep red. And I think that's why it, it stuck so fast. That was like the first thing I got and it was right as I was watching or I had just watched the roast, and I was already like, I don't know. Did you ever watch that interview where he's kind of mm-hmm. like, "Oh yeah, I'm a warlock from Mars." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those, yeah. all those quotes just stuck with me. So yeah. for years, like I, they'd give me bring in the tiger blood, and I yeah. just like quote them like winning kind of thing. <laughs> oh man, it was I awesome. love it. It was awesome. Yeah, we call it the White Lightning, um, George Jones. A friend of mine, Buddy Neese, mm-hmm. his um, his mother had cancer, and they started um, Wake Up Lace Up, and um, Cassidy and I worked together with them on uh, in Miles City. They were having an event, a fundraising event, mm-hmm. and um, our company Point of Contact was working with them and filming it. And little did I know at the time that I you know undiagnosed cancer, so got to see their world and and just was really moved by what they you know, what they did and how the community came 
comes together and, and raises money for, for families to travel. Yeah. Because it's so much of the expense of the travel and the lodging. And and so um, he said his, his mother called it the White Lightning. And I was a big George Jones fan, so it became the White Lightning for us, too. And so that, I call it the White Lightning. I love that. And yeah. I mean, I, just the similarities, like when I did go see you at the Cancer Center, you wear the... The bat thing, just the things that people do in order to get through those things and add some humor. Seems yeah, like most people do. Well, interesting because I like to see, you know see how you you handle that because I you know I have three kids, mm-hmm. and um, you know of course when you first you know for me it was a, a I had some bruising, got some a blood test, and think anything of it went in, and I actually went to the bathroom when they mentioned cancer. And so I came back in, oh and so I didn't quite hear. I knew something was going on, and they were like, you need to go to a specialist. And then a doctor that, you know, we'd had for, you know, for 30 years, um, she came in, and and um, she said, Don, you know, live in the present. You know, there's, you know, we're sending you to a specialist. And That's I was like, okay, I think. So I remember walking outside and, you know, saying to my, because he's kind of hitting you like. That seems you know, like a really ominous thing to say yeah. at a doctor point. Yeah. Yeah, she's the sweetest, um, and and love her to death, and she's just straightforward. And yeah. and um, I saw her the other day; it was great. I saw her, and because um, you know, then of course we went to, you know, seeing Doctor Fabrigas, an oncologist in the cancer center. So, mm-hmm. um, so I saw her. She's like, "How are you doing?" And how are things? And so I told her, and and you know, said, I, "You know, I'm just really, I'm a year in now, and you know, really have no symptoms and." You know, I right away told my wife, should I shave my head? And she's like, no, just wait. And like, I still have, you know, it thinned. Yeah. But for me, it's funny. It thinned in a perfect way where now it's, it, it's longer between haircuts. And it actually, it, um, I don't have to put any product in. It just goes where it's supposed to. So like my hair actually improved with, with, uh, cancer. Wow. But, um, I told her and she said, well, that just doesn't happen, you know? So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm blessed for, you know, the last year of, you know, we have, there's a lot of things you deal with, but mm-hmm. I definitely have not dealt with things that, um, many of the people that I'm sitting in infusions with or, or talk with have, I you think know. that's partially why I felt invincible for a while, because they tell you these, these symptoms that you may or may not have, but mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of people get them, like you're going to lose your hair. And if you're going every day for multiple kinds of chemotherapy, then you know, the likelihood of you losing your hair is a lot more, but I didn't lose my hair for months, probably like six months until finally I I just had a nurse do it because it was falling out. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I could just run my hand through my hair and with minimal effort, pull out an actual handful. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, things like fatigue, it just, the things they, they tell you, they didn't happen for a while. And so, yeah. I had the fatigue a little bit, but you know, I, I always take naps, always have my whole life. Mm -hmm. And so I just noticed I would go take a nap and I would need it. And it would maybe instead of a 15 minute nap, it'd be 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. And I just felt I needed the nap more. 15 Um, minute nap. That's a, that's yeah. I'm an expert. I'm an expert napper. I can do a five minute nap. Right on. Yeah. It's, it's, um, oh, it's an absolute skill and the value of the nap I, I, I wish I could naps. give that to to people, but it's it's um it's a great uh, skill to have because you'll be running at like a four or five. I can stop, put my head down for five to seven minutes, pop up, and I'm running at a nine or a ten again. 
That's awesome. Yeah. So that was it for me as far as, you know, um, as far as, I mean, there are things that happen, of course, and, you know, like the joints and there's yeah. certain different things, but, um, you know, I just well, have been really blessed with not having, you know, the symptoms that so many people have. What, what kind of things happen to your joints? Well, I just notice my elbows, oh. uh, you know, but there's certain things I'll do and work I'll do and workouts that I have to kind of you know, modify, mm -hmm. like, a, you know, if, oh. if I'm leaving, if I'm leaving too much pressure, so I'll, you know, I'll modify like, you know, push-ups will be with my arms in instead of out. That's actually better you for know. your triceps. Yeah. Well, I, there you I go. love exercise and stuff, so. And I've noticed, those are about the only things I've noticed with, you know, um, with my joints. Um, you know, before that, I, you know, forever, you know, for not forever, about 10 years, you know, always, you know, drank tons of water, mm -hmm. you know, ate clean. Um, you know, always, you know, uh, supp supplementation and, you know, never did the fast foods and sodas and junk. And so I always had a real clean diet. And so the only thing that really changed for us was we added in juicing and I do, I do what, like, like steroids. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I did build that muscle mass. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, my wife juices for me organic and, that's really helps with the immune system. And we do a ton of that. I think I do what, like 98 ounces a, wow. a day. And so we do, do that here. And then, um, uh, well paired in oh, yeah. town and they're fantastic. Their food is ridiculous. Their service is like the best. I don't and think I've ever been there. I've just driven past it. Awesome. Right. On. They're the best. And, and so we, I go in there and get a big gallon jug every, like twice a week. Mm -hmm. And it'll ask me, you know, two days. And so, um, so that's the thing we added in was the juicing, but everything else kind of stayed the same for us. And, um, you know, for me though, coming in, you know, that first 48 hours was an interesting time because we were heading up to Fort Smith, going to go spend time with the family. And we kind of popped into this appointment and I thought they might say, oh, you need to add, you know, some red meat or something. And then they give you the live in the present. And we hadn't got the diagnosis, but somebody... Um, had had a similar diagnosis that I'd heard of that had similar kind of symptoms. And then I remember that and they were, you know, had been only given a few months. So I remember going up there thinking, I feel fine. Yeah. I have no reason other than the bruising. And we just thought, oh, we'll go get this checked because it's time to, you know, um, check these things. And, and so that was an interesting 48 hours, you know, up there with my family and, and not knowing if, if it was, you know, I had in my head months. And when I went to the, to see Dr. Fabregas on the, I had my come to Jesus moment. Um, Dr. Fabregas, he, um, I was expecting walking in with my wife. I had put in my head, be prepared for two, three months, mm -hmm. you know, and I had prepped myself for that. So when he said, you know, longer, you know, you know, that there was, Oh, I forget how, you know, Cassie's really good at remembering all this, but I, you know, and sometimes you hear numbers and you grab onto them and they may not be the totality of what they're saying, but yeah, I mean, that numbers game, when you're actually in it, like if, if the, if an average person has like a, I don't know what it is anymore, but let's say a 30%, that might be high. Let's just say 30% chance of getting cancer in your lifetime. I think most people would say 30% chance that's not bad. Even if it's a, let's say it's a 2% chance, that's yeah. not bad. But when you're actually part of that 2%, yeah. like I remember when that first night when they were talking about giving whether I should do radiation or not, they were talking about how, you know, because you're still 
I, I was 17, so I was still a kid, still growing a little bit and everything. They didn't want to influence, you know, my growth or anything, but they also said there's a 2 to 3% chance of getting another cancer. So the numbers game just it takes a whole... I mean, it gets way blown out of proportion when you're actually living those numbers. Like, I, I was any percent chance. It could have been 1% chance. I still would have said no, just because it sucks. I don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I thought to myself, okay, if I get... If they give me, like, a 10% chance to live, I'm like, cool, man, because... I'm a 10%er, like I'm a, you know. But would you bet I, on that? I had a 60% chance to live. I'm not saying I, I mean, as far as, you know, you don't have a choice, you're in it. So yeah, to me, it's like my thought process right away was, if that's the case, then this is who I am. I'm yeah. somebody that's, you know, I'm going to be that, you know. Well, I think and, when you're in it, it's easy to accept it. Or I shouldn't say easy. It's easy for some people to accept it and and just be like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'm part of that. 10% kind of thing. Yeah. But for people who are looking in, you know, they might say, say 60%. Like, oh, that's, those are pretty good odds, but that's still very close to the flip of a coin. And if it's, if you're betting, would you bet your life on the flip of a coin? Would you bet your life on Shaquille O'Neal making a free throw? And that's the thing is when I started thinking of numbers, I'm like, okay, who's a really terrible, you know, free throw shooter. And then you're like, Every time that guy gets up, you're like, he's not going to make it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then I thought of even the, even the best guys, you know, like Steph Curry's, and, you know, mm-hmm. right at 90%. I still watch games and he misses, yeah. you know? And you're like, and you realize even, yeah. So I, weirdly, I put some of the numbers to free throw shooting <laughs> and tried to go, like okay, that. am I Shaquille O'Neal or am I, you know, Steph Curry? Um, but the number game I kind of did was years, months, and kid stuff. Because, you know, right away, my thought was, okay, Gideon is eight. He's nine now. And, and, you know, Tristan, I think it was eight, six, and three at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I realized, I I just was going, man, if I could just get, you know, if I get two years. If I have two years, then he'll be five, and maybe he'll remember me. Maybe I can, you know, have an impact that, you know, because I know Gideon and Tristan would, but Josiah was young enough that, you know... Those memories don't. Yeah, it's different. And and so, you know, so me, I, I, I was kind of working on a, in my own mind of, you know, how much time do I have left and how can I take that time and, and give my kids what, you know, what they need and give them as much guidance. And, and, and you know, I thought about the way I grew up and... And, you know, you know, my father wasn't, you know, in the home and you know, he did incredible things for us as far mm. as providing, but he was, you know, not, you not know, around. yeah, I've, I've already in the short time I've known you had more conversation with you one-on-one than with him and, you know, the wow. 21 years of life that, you know, um, he died when I was 21 gotcha. and, um, and so, you know, again, love my dad, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and the, you know, but that was the one thing that was, that I missed was the time. Yeah. And so for me, time always was a big deal. And I designed the last, you know, eight, nine years of my life around my family. And I think, um, well, Gideon's nine. And I think by the time he was two. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, maybe a year old, 
by that time I was already working from home and designing a life where I could be home. Yeah. And it was because of those reasons. It was I was always thinking time, mm-hmm. even even back then. And so, of course, when the diagnosis came, I was thinking, how much time do I have? What can I give them? You know, what can, you know, what can I pass on? Because I can't have a conversation with a five-year-old, you know, yeah. um, in the way, or even Gideon at nine now. There's things I'd, I'd like to tell him when he's 18, yeah, I know. but it's I can't tell him that like, now. The relationship I have with my dad, it's, you know, it's obviously evolved over the years, but we got more on a peer basis probably when I was 18 years old, which obviously is just because of, well, not just because, but as you grow older, you can actually say things to your kids that you can't say to them mm-hmm. when they're nine and they understand. But it's it's the whole maximizing time with your kids kind of thing. I almost did... It wasn't like with malicious intent. I didn't really mean for this to happen, but as I got more and more sick, maybe let's say six months into my chemotherapy, that's kind of when things really started to turn. I really pushed a lot of my family away, not like telling them to leave or anything. I just didn't have the energy to to be around people. I didn't want them to watch me suffer mm-hmm. and I didn't want to pretend that I wasn't suffering. And now in the past year or so that I've, you know, I had my last surgeries last year in, in the summer, I've been recovering. I think I told you it's at this point, like been four months or so that I've been really the hunger to get out and do things has come yes. around and I need to figure out things to do. And I've I've spent a lot more time with with my dad. I was seeing him almost every day. I well, I mean, I live at my mom's, so I see them every day. But just the importance of of being around the people who will love you regardless. Mm-hmm. It's something yep. I've tried more and more to do. Yes, that's the time is so important, and I, I always would speak that to my friends. I have a lot of friends that are business owners mm-hmm. that work really, really hard, very successful businessmen, and almost every conversation I would have with them was, you know, how much time are you with your wife? How much with your kids? You know, this is important. Your work is important, but this is, this you know, this is the most important is the time with, with your family, and yeah. and so to me, that's, things didn't change much because I'd already designed our life that way. Yeah. So it didn't really... Uh, I did notice moments, especially that first 48 hours, mm-hmm. when you're kind of going... When I was going through that, what if I only have this much time? And I would look at my kids and I would see them playing and doing things and just want to freeze that time. I just want to drop everything and just... You know, it, it was interesting how just watching them play... You know, you just, it just changed. It was, it, I just wanted that moment to to be fully present and just watch every little movement, you know. Um, there's so much you take for granted in life mm-hmm. and the moments. And that's why I think for us when, um, one thing I thought right away was, okay, if I only have two weeks or two months to live, uh, I don't want to have worry and anxiety because what a waste of that time. Yeah. And if I have two years or 20 years, I don't want to have um, worry and anxiety because I don't want to waste that time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I made a, 
pretty quick switch, you know, process things and, and just embraced it. And for, for us, you know, I wanted the kids to be a part and wanted to, to bring them, you know, so they come to the infusion center quite a bit with us. And I wanted, you know, Cassidy said this, you know, our new normal. And I, and that's kind of where, you know, we do walkout videos and it started really early because it felt like it. I had a, a gym in Los Angeles and worked with fighters and, and it had, um, you know, worked in, in management and with, with, uh, MMA fighters. And, and so to me, walking through the cancer center was very much that, you know, the, the walk to the cage. And so, um, you know, we started calling it fight week and started, you know, doing walkouts that were, you know, mirroring, you know, famous walkouts. And, mm-hmm. and part of that was for one, um, one, two, I wanted their memories of that. If my time was short to be good ones. Yeah. And also I wanted to show them, you know, that, um, we get to do this. Always tell them we get to go to the infusion center. And it's funny, I'd come in there and people sometimes and bless their heart cause they work there all the time. And, mm. and, and, and I know sometimes that's gotta be a big burden. Yeah. And they're fantastic at the infusion center, oh but God, it, I know. every once in a while there's just certain terminology that would be like, Oh, sorry, you're back. And I'm like, I'm happy. I'm back. Yeah. I get to be here. This is a path to life for me. This is a path to life. I'm excited to be here. Let's do this, you know? And so we've always kind of, you know, taken that approach that, you know, it's, it's, life is a gift. And, and so I want to enjoy every moment when we go up there. And so last week was the bat dad week and, um, you came up for that. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was fun. But, um, yeah, it's, I want to fully embrace the, the moments, even those, I don't want my kids to, to, to see, Adversity happens in life, yeah. you know. I'm not a victim, yeah. you know. If anything, I did it to myself. So, um, you know, I don't like, um, you know, the to think of it that way. I think it's just a great gift that I have an opportunity to have a whole new tribe of people. I found that right away. I was like, I have a whole new tribe of people now, you know. Like we have, we share, you know, experience that other people they're not in the club yeah. and you can't just, you have to be in the club to be in the club. Very risk club too. <laughs> yes. And so, um, and so right away I was like, I have a new tribe of people. Like I have people, you know, we have a different connection. So I, I've, I found just a lot of, you know, fantastic things on this journey. Yeah. Of course it's got its dangers, but um, that's yeah. how I choose to see it. I mean, just thinking about memories going back to the, uh, the cancer center. I mean, I was there practically every day for a year. And, you know, the reason I was there wasn't great. But when I look back, I had a great time. The people there were awesome. And it was like, I'd go and relax and watch TV. And the nurses would always be happy and helpful. And yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I I just weird to think about, but it actually was. Yes, I, I, I have love it. I've had I've, I've really enjoyed my time at you know, I used to joke that it was too short because my infusions, you know, it takes about two hours from the time we go in and come out on, on a weekday and less than an hour on the weekend. And, you know, some people's infusions will last for four hours or six. And and there's times that I wish I could have stayed for four or six. I like that I don't have to. Yeah. Right. But um, but we just get it kind of settled in. They start taking care of you, bringing you blankets and pillows and, you know. Um, and built, you know, just real good friendships, I think with, uh, 
with a lot of the people there and the nurses there and some of the people you meet um, that are going through, you know, infusions as well. So, um, yeah, it's it was fun to go back with you because you were like, you know, an alumni. Yeah. So what I was... stepped foot there in oh, probably five years. Probably over five years, actually. So you were you were diagnosed in 2011. Mm-hmm. And then uh, let's walk through that period of, you know, your first, your treatment. And then, um, you know, how long your treatment went, like your first year. What was your first year like? You got right into infusion mm-hmm. and take it from there. So I don't know if I if I mentioned what it was called, what I had, but no. on the 19th, I was diagnosed with acute, or no, 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 yeah, acute lymphocytic leukemia, and immediately put in the hospital. Next morning, I had to, I went down and had a Groshan catheter placement, which is, you know, I had two tubes coming out of my chest, and while I was recovering from that surgery, still had some anesthesia, they gave me you know, they did the bone marrow biopsy, which I'm so thankful that my doctor was smart enough to do it while I was still a little bit under, you know. <laughs> and from that point on, it was an everyday thing. I mean, because of the, the catheter, I there was a point where I had, I was more used to a needle in my spine than a needle in my arm. And I'd go in practically every day. Once I was released from the hospital, I'd go practically every day to the cancer center. Maybe there I'd, I'd be sitting there for two hours. Some days I'd be there for four hours. Some days a full day. Maybe one day I wouldn't even go in for chemo. It's just that I needed blood or platelets. or It's such you know, a fluid yeah. thing. They really have to play it by ear. But it's one of the weird things is the, the protocol is planned out. You know, you have... And it's very aggressive. I mean... Obviously, not everybody survives. And practically every day, if it's not every day, you're in there at least three times a week. I'd go in sometimes multiple times a week for, you know, lumbar puncture so that they could put some methotrexate into my spine to protect my brain from tumors. I can't remember all of the drug names, but, you know, I took... Some of them were vincristine, which kind of kept me from walking at one point. Cytoxin, which sounds scary and it kind of is. Doxorubicin, L-asparaginase, 6-mercaptopurine. There's a lot. There's a lot. And, I mean, that first year, well, let's say the first six months, there was a real gradual decline in my health. There was a, first, there was an actual, like, I felt much better about everything in life. Later that year... Health declined. Six months in, I got an infection in my uh, Groshan catheter, which they said would probably have a six-month lifespan. But really from that point, my health as a whole just took a downturn. I went into the cancer center, and they know it's infected because you're sick, and they can't push medicine in because mm-hmm. it's, just, it's like closed at the end because of the infection. So I had to go to the hospital. I had to put an IV. They had to do another surgery to put one on in on the other side. It's it was grueling and never ending. And after that six month mark, there was a point where I just basically couldn't get out of bed. Not and I was like afraid to eat at one point because or for like an entire summer basically because 
it was too painful for me to walk to go get food. And if I, if I was eating food, then eventually you have to go to the bathroom. But it was too painful to go to the bathroom, so I just, like, partially starved. I would, mm-hmm. for, I would eat as little as possible. So, yeah, first year, ultra-aggressive. But then there's two years of maintenance, and it's not terrible. I mean, you go in once a month, you take, you have some pill um, chemotherapy that you take every day, and I had to take a lot of steroids, and not the cool kind. (laughs) Not that they're all cool, but whatever. Or not that any of them are cool, but... uh, So, yeah, one aggressive year two maintenance years during the maintenance year and because of the steroids I ended up with another um, disease which I still will have to deal with for the rest of my life which resulted in my knees being replaced I had to go to the Mayo Clinic to see if they would be able to help my hips and my shoulder my right shoulder is totally destroyed but well I shouldn't say totally destroyed it it's destroyed to the point where doctors have told me that they should replace it. And while I was at the Mayo Clinic, they were almost like salesmen. Like, I was there for a week, and they were saying, well, you know, you're here for a couple more days. We can get you in and get it replaced kind of thing. (laughs) But it works well enough that I can deal with the pain and just kind of have a broken shoulder. Yeah. It's funny. Looking at you, you see none of that. Like, I would have no idea. And then even after, you know, hearing your story... My first thought was, oh, he went, got through that, and now he's, you know, he's good. And then when I heard, you know, the knees, the shoulder, all these things, you know, you have the leading man good looks, and you you. you have this athletic, you know, feel about you, and you you move, and you just wouldn't think that there was anything, you know, ailing you. And Thank so um, so right. when I hear that, it's a, it's the, a good reminder of, a lot of times there's more under the surface with people than what you see. Oh, I know. And uh, that's actually been, I can't remember if we talked about it before, but that whole, you know, because I don't look like I've had problems, there have been plenty of times where, whether it's in conversation with a random person or a lot of time it's a doctor who I have an appointment with that I haven't seen. Like, if they look at my chart, most of them look at your medicines first and they notice because I was on opiates for eight years and they'll see that and without looking at your history or really asking you why they just because I look normal they would see that and almost assume that I'm just using them for fun kind of thing Mm -hmm. and so they get judgmental and then almost every time they look at my my chart see why I'm taking them and get instantly a lot nicer, a lot more helpful. I mean, I went to the emergency room at one point, and the doctor there was judgmental and an ass. But after he looked at my notes, looked at my charts and my history, you know, his frown turned to a smile. He Every time he left the room, usually a nurse will come check on you, but he was the one that would come check on me and bring me water. And, you know, like, here's a pamphlet for, you know, something that's going on. <clears throat> Like, those kinds of things. It's a cancer VIP. It's you a get... cancer VIP thing, but it also <laughs> kind of sucks because people, a lot of people, they don't think to ask, yeah. like, why? They don't They don't go beyond the surface. And I, I'm really 
not into just surface level stuff. Yeah. You know, and it wears, it's worn on me quite a lot. Like a lot of the insecurities that I used to have before I got sick, I feel like they've kind of crept back in a little bit. So I'm trying to figure out how to deal with those, you know? Yeah. Well, let's talk about those. I'm going to take a a quick break because of my 98 ounces of Mm. juice a day. (laughs) So I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and, and we'll, we'll start right there. That's fine with me. We are back with my uh, 24 ounces of lean from Well Paired. Telling you, this is I'm a, so. I'm addicted What's in, in a really good way. This has oh, what is it? Romaine. Uh, I think it's green apple. I'm forgetting now. There, there's like five or six different drawn blanks right now. Is it tart? This, the, a little bit the uh, okay. lean is in a good way. I like I like tart. Yeah, yeah. I highly recommend. Highly recommend. I'm embarrassed that I don't remember everything in it, but that's always when I go. Cassie, what's in this? Cassie, what do I have? What? what she, what's she's what's your my? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> when I when I said I had my coming you know to Jesus moment. Uh-huh. We joke about that because um, Doctor Fabrigas is Jesus, and so. Um, and um, when when we go to see him, he's fantastic. He um, he quickly realized, you know, we'll sit down. He'll look at me. How you doing, Don? Great. We'll have that like first ten seconds of, and then he'll go, okay, Cassidy. And then they'll have the whole conversation. <laughs> I'm just sitting there, and she's got her notes, and they're going back and forth. How and they just so he calls. Like when he calls me, he'll go. You know, he'll go, is Cassidy there? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, she's right here. Okay, Cassidy. And he just speaks to her and I'm like the, um, it's a beautiful thing. She, um, she's just really um, gifted that way as far yeah. as she, she knows, you know, what's going on and she doesn't miss anything. And there's times she'll suggest things and they're like, oh yes. Like the nurses or the doctor and, you know, you realize if she wasn't here, mm-hmm. you know. Because she, she's just on it, so it's good. Um, and it makes it easy for me because I just don't, um, you know, I choose to focus on the things I can focus on that yeah. I can deal with. Yeah. And and anything that, you know, I always call it doing math when I have all these, you know, give me problems and equations, mm-hmm. you know, I'll leave that for the people that, you know, do the math. And for me, just tell me when to show up, what to do, <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I'm I'm in, That's you know. And I just, that way it allows me to keep focused on um, staying healthy and no stress, kind of keep that. Um, you know, I, I don't allow those kind of things in. And, um, and well, actually, we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to go back to um, where we stopped. You were talking about your insecurities, and then, and then maybe we'll, we'll come back around to, to that because I have some, a few things that I find interesting about the way people deal with mm-hmm. you while you're, you know, walking this journey. But, You'd mentioned insecurities, so um, let's dive into that a little bit. Okay, I'm willing. Yeah, so, I don't even really know where to start. Yeah. I mean, what were a couple things that you know cropped up that were insecurities for you that that were insecurities? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know that I would say that they're the exact same insecurities that I had years ago. They just kind of are similar. I mean, I feel at this point I can't help. I mean. Most people can't, but I can't help but compare myself to other people my age. 
and I usually do it against, I compare myself to the people who have it the very best. And so I think, oh, you know, I'm 25. I should be having a really awesome job with a college degree and a house or whatever. I should yeah. I see people that are very successful because it's what I want, and then I feel bad, like a failure, because I haven't taken the steps to get there. Yeah. And, I don't know, it's partially because of the whole, I look healthy so no one can see what I've gone through, so I feel like that's what other people see, is a failure, because they see a 25-year-old kid who you know, hasn't spent eight years in school or whatever, hasn't had a job, a real job for a while and uh, without taking into account illness or anything because nobody cares to ask. The real job of fighting cancer for... Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, <laughs> yes. I, I know they're irrational. I just can't help it. I don't know yeah. why. I don't know yeah. why. Well, I think it's very human. Yeah. You know, I think it's very human. But... um and you know, I mean, because of how I isolated myself during treatment, um, which I mean, it's weird because even though it, it sucks that I did it, I don't know that I would have survived otherwise. I just felt like I, I did what I had to do, and it, I mean, I'm here, so it works. Yes. But now again, it's sort of a perception thing. Like, I am 25 extremely hard to relate to people my age and I have tried and even just simple things like well as I, I, I already said I'm not a huge fan of just surface level stuff but there have been a number of times where maybe I, I meet somebody and you know when you're first meeting somebody it's a lot of it is just superficial because mm -hmm. you're trying to you know get things out of each other and see where it goes yes and then I'll get invited into their group, let's say. Like, I was invited to go hang out with these people and go bowling. I knew one person out of that, just briefly. But if you invite somebody into a group that you, that's already established, it shouldn't be the job of the guy that you invited to break into the group. It should be the yeah. job's group to be inclusive. And I've dealt with it. It seems like, I'm sure it's not only in my generation, but I've found it a lot in my generation, and... I don't know. I can't. I can't get beyond the superficial stuff. Nobody asks questions. I always have to be the one to get people talking, which kind of wears down on me because it's like, oh, am I not interesting enough? I guess for people to ask questions, kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. Just insecurities that have gradually bubbled up. Yeah. Well, and I think your generation has, you know very significant challenges that others didn't have and a lot of that to do to technology and and just the way that information is given Especially. out and then the way it's taken in and everything is you know so quick mm -hmm. that attention spans and conversation you know it's different and so you know one thing I do with my kids is you know, we used to do this a lot before bed to sit down and they would have to ask questions. So ask a question, ask your brother a question, you know, or ask mom or dad and they would, you know, and the idea was to teach them to ask, you know, to think about what can I ask that yeah. would bring up a conversation that would be interesting. 
And so there's a skill set to it, and, and we're in a generation that has been, you know, I think void of a lot of that due to technology. Oh, I know. And so, and then if you haven't dealt with, in, in such, because of technology and media and, and you know, what's seen on social media and film and mm-hmm. images and Instagram and just this flash images all the time, uh, it, it leans toward that. So, you know, for you going through, you know, the journey you have, you're definitely going to be at a different place than someone that maybe, you know, spent a few years in college and yeah. Yeah. So I see that. So what, um, going through the, I was interested in, in the kind of highs and lows. Mm-hmm. If you maybe touch on that on a couple of, you know, maybe a couple of things that were like high points through your journey and some, maybe the low points Man, uh, you know, going through it, I, there, I wouldn't say there were very many massive peaks or valleys. I mean, it was kind of like, it really was a job at that point. I had great times, like if I was at the cancer center and, oh, actually, I'll give you one that I can really remember, one that really sticks out where I was in the hospital in the ICC for neutropenia, which have they you've have you had neutropenia? I don't think so. That's when that's when your your neutrophils and your white blood cells are so low that your body can't fight against any it, illnesses. Basically, yeah, they've been close, but never mm-hmm. they've never dipped to that point. I got down there quite a few times, and you know, one of the things that I was told to stay away from. Which is funny because, you know, all you hear about is, and I mean, you do it, you eat clean. I try to eat, I don't do it very successfully, but you would want to eat as clean as possible. They were basically telling me, because of the risk of infection and just, you know, you can't go out and pick a tomato out of the garden because your body can't fight against the things it normally would be able to. So if there's like a little thing of dirt on there or whatever, potential Mm. death kind of thing. And so... I was told to stay away from fresh produce and sushi and stuff, which I love sushi. And at one point while I was in the ICC at like, I don't know, I had been there for like a week or something, maybe not even, but I was sick there because of neutropenia. They had me hooked up to antibiotics. I was still doing the chemotherapy. But one of the nurses who had been seeing for almost a year at that point she was going to be going, I think, with her husband to get some sushi for dinner. <laughs> and I got her, you know, they were all, I knew them pretty well at this point, and they all knew me, and she knew that I loved sushi, and I got, I convinced her to bring me some sushi for dinner. And things like that happened quite a bit. I, I think I it was pretty high. I mean, at one point, I couldn't sleep at night, and it was like two in the morning, and one of the night nurses was going to be going to this little gas station to get some some snacks and she offered to get me some snacks so I got like some sweet tarts and sour or uh, spicy Cheetos and everything and I don't know just little things like that I think of as as fun peaks as far as valleys I mean basically the whole first part of well actually let's say from February 2012 to November 
or maybe September 2012 was like maybe the worst time in my life. I don't know if I'll ever have a worse time. I hope not. But my health declined rapidly. Once I had that infection, like pretty soon after I started losing weight again, the I was getting crazy pain in my legs so I couldn't walk anymore. Just my health was bad. And I was in and out of the hospital all the time. One of the things that you have to watch for during this because of high doses of steroids is you have to monitor your blood sugar. So I was basically, I basically had medically induced diabetes too. I had to give myself insulin before and after I, or I don't remember at this point, but just to monitor it. And when you eat food, you have to take care of it. But there was a point in... 2012, I had been in and out of the hospital multiple times in a couple of weeks, could barely get out of bed, didn't really care to anymore, just because it was just too painful, and I didn't like people around me looking at me and suffering, and it was awful, and I, I stopped monitoring my, my blood sugar at that point, and I, I wouldn't say I was giving up, it was just, everything was coming together in such a weird way, like, I didn't want to, I couldn't eat that much because I didn't want to have to go to the bathroom because I didn't want to have to walk to the bathroom. It was all horrific. And I don't remember if this was the last time I went to the hospital for, actually no, it definitely wasn't. But I had to go in just to get some blood taken and for them to give me that day's cocktail. And they, I left, they called me back because my blood sugar was in the 500s which in normal blood sugar should be 100, and anything above 200 is, is high. So I had to go back immediately. They had to monitor my blood sugar and everything. At this point, I couldn't walk. I was, I mean, they give you, I was on opiates all the time at this point because I had to be to kind of function at all. But even with them, I couldn't walk. And... Everything was declining so fast and in such a way that I I just figured I'd probably be dead by the end of the year. And this would have been in probably July of 2012. At this point, I hadn't really talked to my... You know, I lived with my mom, but I didn't talk to her about this kind of thing. And it just kind of gestated in me for a little while until I was in the hospital that time around and... I hadn't seen my dad in a couple of months at this point. He came to visit me. I, you know, I talked to him on the phone every once in a while, but I just didn't have the energy to go see them. And so he came to visit me, and I basically gave him the talk of, like, this sucks for me. I'd rather, you know, I'll, I'll keep doing this to survive, but if it's, I'm totally okay with being dead by the end of the year, and I hope you are too, kind of thing. And I had the same conversation with my mom, and I was in that mindset for, God, I don't know. Since, from that summer, it, even when that first year of chemotherapy that was intense was over, I couldn't shake that, like, um, total acceptance of death kind of thing. Which I'm sure, well, actually not even I'm sure, I know it made me come off as cold, for a year as cold and angry, which I wasn't trying to be, but 
that's just how it was. So yeah. How was your conversation with your mom? How did she take that? How did your dad take the conversation? Um, I think they were both kind of stunned. I mean, my dad, you know, they didn't have much to say. I know my mom cried and she talked to some nurses about my quality of life and they would try and comfort her too. But I mean, I don't know. They, they didn't have much to say. It was just, I felt like the elder in that situation kind Mm -hmm. of, because it was more like I wasn't offering them wisdom. I was just telling them that things are going to be okay. And it seemed like they were the kids that didn't really know what to say. So they were kind of short conversations. And at that time, you know, I, I didn't have the energy to get into conversations like this. So even when people did try to get stuff out of me, it was like, I just couldn't do it. But, you know, eventually things got better. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the dynamic talking to people. What I've had some pretty, you know, interesting conversations. (laughs) And I get it. People don't know what to say. Yeah. I get it that they're, you know, there's a multitude of things that can happen when someone's speaking with you, you know, where they don't know how to deal with it. And so I take all that into consideration and I understand it. And, um, it's funny, the dealing with people for me was been the most strenuous at times. I learned really, really quickly, you know, how to speak to people. And, um, I would. I remember one one lady at the infusion center came up to me, and I knew it. I could see it in her eyes when mm-hmm. she came up, and I sense fear, and I see it, and and I just don't want you know, I don't want that around. Yeah. And and she was going to come, you know, drop some, you know, wisdom on me, and and I I didn't want it because oh. I knew where it was coming, and I understood, and I understood where she was coming from. She was trying with the best of her limited abilities, but I had to shut her down oh, I know. because she was going to. You know, come and you realize often people. What I found is most of the time is I'm helping someone else process their feelings, which is totally fine. And so I just have a a, a simple thing, which is if you want to hear about my journey, about you know what I think and 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 you know how I how I navigate it, mm-hmm. I'll tell you. And if if you want to you know tell me about your worries and anxieties and fears, I'll listen. But if you want to take your fear and anxiety and worries and put them on me, yeah. this conversation is not happening. I know. I, I, mean, I won't allow that. That's the reason why I just couldn't be around people yeah. anymore because every conversation after a while was like they wanted to talk about it with me, but it was mostly them telling me, just talking at me kind of thing. And yeah. I, I did not have the energy for it, and it really, really brought me down. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I I've felt that where when I feel like it's almost like a video game when the when your the power starts going out and mm-hmm. you can feel it and you're yeah. like you know I when I feel that I I've stopped those kind of conversations. It is kind of funny because you know obviously everybody has that feeling throughout the day your energy goes down but man you you can feel it really fast when you're going through this kind of thing. Yeah, like it'll. it'll 
take like 10 minutes sometimes. Yeah, and it's powering down. It's like you can see the numbers going, you know. Yeah, it's... it's it's um. Well, I, I remember the day that I came home from that initial hospital visit after 10 days, I had that same, that thing happen where my power went down so quickly. I remember I was released from the hospital, which was stressful just because for 10 days... They are extremely helpful. They tell you everything that you, you're going to do that day. And I don't know, leaving the hospital was very stressful because now we weren't being watched over constantly. And I left the hospital with not great energy, but decent enough. And by the time I got home, like I stepped out of the car and was walking fine for like four or five steps then I couldn't walk anymore. I had to be like carried into the into my house and physically like put to be laid down on the couch and man, it, yeah, gets drained fast. How do you in those moments mentally? How did you deal with you know with the day to day stuff when you're struggling that much with things that before were simple, just mm-hmm. like walking and you know taking care of yourself. At first. Um, I don't. I didn't think a whole lot about it, just because it was a job, and I there was no real. It was just something I had to do, mm-hmm. and so I would do it. And if I was tired, I would lay down and didn't care. It was the same kind of thing. Like when I was talking about, I didn't care about other people's perception perception of me anymore. Mm. Like I'd go to the cancer center in pajamas and and whatnot because I knew I was going to be there and be exhausted, so I wanted to be comfortable. And if I was at home or at somebody's house and I felt my energy out or, you know, go down and I needed to relax and lay down, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to stand there and endure. I'm going to say, you know, here's the deal. I need to go lay down. You can deal with it or not. And I'll go do it. And, you know, as time went on and my energy got lower and lower, I would just do things that didn't require as much energy. Like I, I've always loved video games. And so when I was unable to walk and I'd be in bed all day, I would just watch movies or play video games and actually was an awesome, awesome coping thing because, well, I know you know of video games, but did you ever play video games or? Yes. When I was, I I grew up, you know, playing back then it was Atari to age me. But um, I, yeah, I played played video games enough to get addicted to where the fingers would hurt and you'd play yeah. all night. So then I, I had to uh, stop because <laughs> it was an addiction for me that I knew if I get started, I might not be able to stop. Yeah. But um, but yes, there was there was a game that came out that I'd been looking forward to, and it came out two months after I was diagnosed. And it was called Skyrim, and I mean it was already an awesome game, but for me, it's probably the best game ever made just because of how much it helped me yeah. get through those really horrific months and even, you know, years, I would say. Because you just, I don't know, it, it, it really an, helped. An escape that you're invested in. Yeah, yeah. Because watching a movie, you're invested in some ways, but you're like actually a player in it. Yeah, you choose your journey. And it's yeah. one of those games where it's not, you know, this perfect narrative that you just follow the path. 
it's like they put you in a world and you can pick a direction and you can't play it the same exact way as anybody else. Mm. And so you do get a lot more invested because it really is your crafted character and my God, it even to this day I still have real nostalgia for that game. I it was awesome. It sounds a lot like the cancer journey. Yeah. When you say, you know, how do you say it that you can you can craft your character and you play it in a way that only you can play it. Yeah. And that's something I noticed that, you know, um the for a year it's been you know, really high spirits and good control over emotions and how I feel and, you know, through the ups and downs of things. But I had one moment where I kind of dipped. It was short, but it was when I might have mentioned this to you. I read an article that someone had posted about, you know, fighting, you know, this, using the word fight. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. In cancer. Yeah. And how you shouldn't do that. And I remember the first time when... when when we hadn't got the diagnosis and I thought my time was short, or I thought my time could be short, I, I, I was prepared for, you have two months, and we, we hadn't got the, you know, the biopsy back. I remember talking to my brother-in-law, and I said, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I said, it reminds me of Gladiator. You've seen Gladiator oh, yeah. when, when Maximus, when he's about to go out into the arena for the first time, and they're about to you know, bring the gate up, and, um, you know, I can't remember what he exactly says, but whatever happens on the outside of that gate, mm-hmm. there's that anticipation of what's coming and that one, they, they pan over and that one guy is wet himself Yep. and he's the first one to die. He goes out and poof, it's over. And, um, but he came out fighting, yeah. you know, and I remember telling my brother-in-law, I was like, you know, whatever happens, you know, it, no matter how ugly it gets. If it does get ugly, just, you know, the only thing I'm asking is you remind me to always fight. Yeah. Because that's the, that's it. I don't, I'm going to, I don't want to wet myself and, you know, like I want to go down fighting if that's the, the deal. Yeah. And, and see, s- at that point, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. But at that point where things were at their lowest, I don't want to make, you know, I still, I don't think I ever really portrayed that I was mentally going through a hard time. Uh. Because at the time, I mean, it was uh, it was just something I had to go through. I didn't feel that bad about anything. I just felt physically bad, and it kind of mm-hmm. bled into how I thought about things. But I never really thought of it as a fight. And this is part when I talked to my dad about me dying. This is something that I told him. I don't really remember exactly what I said, but it was basically like, I win either way because either I get. Either I survive and the cancer is gone, or I die and I take it with me. And so that helped me process it a little bit. It just, I don't know. Yeah. I understand the, you just really have to go into it like it's, obviously it is a big deal, but I didn't think of it as a big deal. It just felt like this thing I had to do is a little obstacle. When you mentioned the game, that's why I was like, oh, that that hits because everyone has to do it their own way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very much realized that the way I approach it is not for everyone else, you yeah. know. But that day that I read that article, I remember it was, you know, very much don't say fight when you're talking about cancer, you know, and and the article went on to say it's disrespectful to people because they didn't choose this and there was a lot of and I get that. And I and I also realized and so I remember I went and laid down and take a nap and I was 
thinking of it and all of a sudden I had this kind of sadness come over me and part of it was because I'd read about some other people um, that you know stage four and had kids and 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 I put in the situation I realized well my journey is different because you know yes I may die but I do have hope and some people um, you know their diagnosis doesn't give them that even you know chance of hope and so that's different and I get that I will never understand unless I walk that and that may come for me so I can say this is how I hope I handle that and how I choose to think I'll handle it but we'll see when that happens if that happens so I remember thinking about it going feeling horrible like I'd offended people yeah and because there were some people that were very much um it's offensive to say fight you know how dare you say fight cancer I'm not fighting this happened to me I didn't choose this and if I don't make it through then I didn't fight hard enough and and so I remember sitting there and as I thought about it I had a moment of of thinking of you know of another another cancer patient that I'd kind of read up on and you know and I was kind of feeling for her journey Mm -hmm. and then I kind of felt like an inner voice was saying yeah it's okay you can feel that about you too you can feel embrace this you should feel this this it's okay to you know to cry and to feel you know and and I it was like a dark blanket for me in this scenario And, and it I didn't like it and I started to kind of give into it. And then I was like, whoa, whoa, what is this? Um, for me, yeah. always, this is for me. This doesn't project to anyone else. In that moment, I realized I was allowing myself to mentally go into a place that was going to be dangerous. And it was going to be, you know, I'm a victim. Um, you know, I should feel sad for myself. All these things um, that for other people, however they, you know, choose to walk through their journey is theirs but for me I was like I can't do this to my family yeah I can't let myself do this I have my kids need the moments I have to be you know as good as possible mm-hmm. and so so I, I cut it and I it, it took a little while to shake and I was like whoa what is this it was like it was creeping up and creeping in and, and I had to kind of cut loose of it and then that was really the only time that I, I felt like I was kind of Getting the invitation to be sucked into a valley that I might not have, yeah. you know, wanted to, I definitely didn't, didn't want to go or need to go because it was, it, w- it was going to be self-pity for me yeah. and it was going to be things that um, I didn't see as beneficial or productive for me or for my family because what's going to happen is going to happen and I'm going to, you know, take, you know, the gift I've been given of life and however the, you know, however it plays out, I'm going to. You know, I want to do it in the most honorable way and positive way I can, you know. I know, I know. So anyways, it's interesting to watch. I I don't project the way I handle or the way I walk through this journey mm-hmm. to other people. Um, but it's interesting to see how how different people, um, you know, walk it out. Because yeah. it's, it's definitely, um, it's a dangerous journey. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's a very high risk. I, I guess... I don't know. I I don't totally understand the whole getting offended by calling it a fight. I mean, you're fighting for your survival. It may not be a a battle that's totally up to you, but still yeah. feels like a fight to me. I guess I don't totally understand that. But yeah. Well, and I I get 
how the f- that's being framed. I get that. I just don't agree with it. Yeah, I um, guess I should say that I I understand it. I just don't agree with it. And yeah, and 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 the reason why is because um, I may I may it may not go the way I hope it does. You know, mm-hmm. I expect to. You know, I have good expectations, but um, the fight isn't just to beat cancer. the The fight is that that um, you know, I fight for moments with my family, and and then I'm fighting for relationships, and um, you know, I'm fighting for a mindset that allows me to operate in a way that can add value to my family now. Yeah. You know that I there's many things that I'm fighting for every time you know we step into the infusion center that i don't if it doesn't go my way doesn't mean i lose yeah it's just a battle to keep your light or your life as bright as possible while you're while you're still around well said exactly thank you yeah then that's it and so yeah so it's it's been um i guess the uh what what is the what's the funniest thing or the worst (laughs) piece of advice or cure that someone's come to you with. I'm sure you've had cure. Yeah, or, or I mean, whatever, anything so in that people, range. One of the things that just always upset me. There were a number of people who, you know, one of the most memorable times I had. I was still going through chemotherapy. I had just been. They had told me about my knees being destroyed. I could barely walk. I was having a hard time. And a couple of people were like, "Oh, well, you know." There's a, I, I saw some people in South America, they have it worse. Lots of people will say things like, you know, it could be worse kind of thing, but it that's not helpful at all. It just kind of yes. makes me upset at people, but yes. I don't know. And, I, and you know, there's was, there was some weird things like, oh, you know, maybe lay on this bed of, of water, you know, like a water bed and we'll shoot some sound at you out of some speakers and that'll heal you kind of thing, which yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's lots of weird stuff. Yes. But. Well, I'm a critical thinker, uh-huh. I, I, and I, I like to hear different. You know, I'm I'm open. Yeah. And and we've been that way. We've you know, See, and well, so but I've heard things. So I say that yeah. preface this by, you know, I don't shut down. Mm-hmm. You know, we you know for years have looked into a lot of things before and have you know have a, you know, a, um, family member that for years has been studying cancer because he's you know, had the forethought to say, well, these are the numbers, someone percentage wise, someone in our family is going to have it. So I want to know as much as I can in case that time comes. And, yeah. and so when it happened, it just happened to be me. Wow. And so when we started talking, uh, it just, you know, our path was different that there was really no alternative way. Yeah. We had like a one, you know, in a way it was a kind of a blessing that there wasn't five treatment options and you had to study them all and figure out you know, and if you choose the wrong one, you know, you the door to death, you know. Yeah, I was grateful for that, too, because, like, I, I don't think I would have been very open at this point for alternative treatments or anything, just because the doctor I was seeing, he had been doing it for decades at this point. He knew what he was doing. He said, this is the protocol. Basically, the only choice, which wasn't even a choice for me, it was a definite no, was whether or not I should be getting radiation. Mm-hmm. And ever, ultimately, everybody said no. I would have said no regardless. So, uh, But as far as like alternative things, for me, I just saw that path and went headfirst down on it. I just had to do it like that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we were... There was not one case of any 
alternative yeah. way. And for us, we need, you know, for, for, for me, I need a, you know, a stem cell, you know, mm-hmm. replacement. So that's, you know, that, that's it. There's only one way and there's only, there's a certain protocol for that to happen. So that made it pretty easy, but I found out really quickly people would call and they'd send you, you know, information that they never vetted, that they had no idea, just maybe had the keyword cancer and, and solution, you know, and they would send it to you. And so I, I quickly, you know, my brothers were great. One was like, hey, on the financial stuff, if there's things that come up, you need to sift through things. Yeah. Basically, we'll, we'll, we'll look at things and then you only have to, instead of dealing with a hundred things, we'll deal with it. And if there's things that you need to, then we'll, you know, so when it comes to all these different therapies and things, people were coming, they'd vet it. If there was something, you know, for us to look at, we'd look at it and it kind of had a vetting system to kind of hear people, but to yeah, not have to deal, you. not have to deal with it until I, you know, needed to. That's how my mom was too. So I, I, there may have been a lot more random, you know, people trying to be helpful by sending whatever they found yeah. had to do with cancer or, yeah. And luckily it was all stopped before it got to me. I mean, there mm. were some, this isn't a, like an alternative thing, but, you know, maybe there was a shortage of medicine, so people would send, like, kind of fearful yeah. letters, and then I'd go to the doctor and be like, no, don't worry about it. No. Yeah. People are just talking. Yes, I've noticed the fear. That was the one thing is I I, I can recognize fear in people really quickly, and, and so that, you know, I'd recognize that when people would come or, you know, they'd send me. Here's my best one. Mm-hmm. Um I had a, I was I was in a sauna because one of the things I do is you know when I'm not doing chemo I do 30 minutes in the sauna and you know try to do it every day and yeah. and there's you know physical things I do to stay healthy and and that's one of them and but I like to get in there for 30 minutes and that's kind of my one of my self you know care therapies where I get in there and I work on things in there too I'm a storyteller so sometimes I'll think you know, of, of things in there and process or go through stuff. Yeah. And so it's kind of a, you know, little sanctuary too. And so, and, and it's my, um, um, my uncle has, you know, has this great spot that he lets us come to. And, and so I'm usually by myself once in a while, he'll come in, you know, he'll come in, it's great. And we'll chat. Mm-hmm. Well, this particular time, um, I'm in and I'm actually working on a story for story night. Gotcha. And so I'm like, Oh, this is the one place I can go and just relax. And then if something comes, you know, I kind of, and so, uh, I'm sitting there and I get this, there's a knock. And so someone's outside that wants to talk to me. And instantly I think, Oh, it must be a family member mm-hmm. that I haven't seen because why else would they come and try to drag me out of the sauna? Right. Yeah. Unless this is like, Oh, you know, you're, Second cousin, so and so is you know passing through town, wanting to say hi. You haven't yeah. seen it since you know, and so I come out and I'm like, I don't recognize him, and so I introduce and and find out he's the you know a neighbor, and quickly I know what's going down. He's got a cure for me. Like I oh. I sense it coming. Yeah. And so I'm like going, okay. I said they go, well he had you know cancer, and he you know we were talking, and I'm like, well hey can I can I get your number? Or can how about I get your number and then I'll call you like, you know, in the sauna and he just starts talking and I realized they're trying to help by bringing him mm-hmm. and they're the sweetest people ever and they help so much. So I want to, I want to, for them, for all of the kind things they've done, I want to hear him out, but I'm 
don't want to hear them out. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I see it coming, and I'm thinking, okay, if I do, let me do this when I'm done, like I'm dripping wet out yeah. of a sauna, that, <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't know you. And uh, he went on to tell me about, um, I thought he something like had throat cancer, or they thought it was cancer, and then it wasn't, or something. I, I don't even know if he specifically had cancer, but it was something yeah, okay. with the throat, and it was, and we're talking, we're maybe 60 seconds into meeting each other and I'm he's telling me what I need to do with a molasses lemon sugar did he already know water we were gonna be there well he was yeah they 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 must have been having dinner and knew I was there so they came over so they they were I think they were having dinner I text hey I'm I'm using the sauna and then you know he came over and you know so it was a specific and I was thinking to myself you haven't even asked me you don't know what I'm dealing you don't know if treatments are good if everything if I have options and you're talking about drinking molasses for a throat. I have nothing, you know, it, does, <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do. And he's just like running over the top, you know. And um, it didn't end well yeah. because I just, I, I usually I handle those things pretty well. But, um, you know, I tried to say, well, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, you know I said I, and, and I was trying to be polite. be polite. And then he wouldn't allow me to be polite. You know, Jeez. and then I was like, "We're done. I'm out." I'm like, yeah. "Okay, thanks, thank you." <laughs> I just turned around and went in and got. And then I felt bad because it was their friend, but I was well, like, I mean, "If you can't, you know, he wasn't taking the hint, you were doing." Yeah, why? Well, and I said to him, "I said, well, you know, I said I like to think, you know, I, I like to believe I'm a critical thinker. We like to look at a lot of things, so I'm yeah. open to things." Um, and here's what, and I started. Exp- was going to explain to him what we're doing and, and what we're dealing with. There's one path, and he'd jump over the top of me and jump over and yeah. until I finally realized, you're here to tell me what's up, yeah. and I'm done. Like, this conversation's over. So um, at the time, I was pretty livid because then I went to get back into my sanctuary to do, and I was just, I was a little peeved that he yeah. would, you know. Um, but... Now, in retrospect, it's probably one of the funniest ones is, you know, gargle molasses and it'll cure, and it'll cure you. That's very forward yeah. of him to just yeah. go up and talk to you like that. I'm glad yeah. I had sort of a boundary between, like, people would go to my mom, and if it was something that actually seemed somewhat plausible, she might tell me, but really it was just stay on the path. He was giving it to me like a guarantee, like, yeah. you got, this is it, all you got to do. Just all I got to do is this. So that was that was probably the. Uh, but generally, people have been really, really good, and I mean, yeah. I understand human frailties and people's. You know, I can sense when somebody's trying to be helpful, and yeah. and I understand that, and and I've learned to kind of walk them through, you know, through the process because I'm open to 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 listen to people, and and it's just like I said, don't. Put your fear and in, in worries are on me. Yeah. If you want to talk about why you're scared and why this is upsetting to you, I'm okay to talk about that. I just am not allowed to say this is how you feel. This is what you're yeah. going through. This is. I've had people. How you doing? Oh, doing great. Feel great. Don, what? Don, you can tell me. I feel great, man. I feel fantastic. Don, stop it. I know. Just, just you, don't believe. You, Some people don't you believe. You tell that. me, and I'm. <laughs> I'm like, listen, you know, yeah, so I, I have those that want to, you know, tell you how they think you should be feeling, and mm-hmm. it's, 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 um, it's, you know, people are a mystery, so it's a, it's a, it's definitely a learning experience walking through that, but, you know, even that, I mean, I, I say that because it's, 
obviously if you've been on the cancer journey, you've probably dealt with it. Yeah. You know, but, um, I had some know. people, some people that I didn't even know, like they would come up to my hospital room and try to, you know, maybe it was someone who worked at the hospital or a friend of one of my parents or whatever, but there were people I didn't know. Usually at times when I did not want visitors, but yeah. they would come up there and, you know, kind of in an effort to comfort me, but, you know, they would talk about their experiences or they would ask how I'm doing and it was that kind of thing. Like they, maybe I was feeling great, I just didn't want visitors, so I may have kind of come off kind of angry or something, especially because I didn't know them and they would just kind of pry and it became a bad experience for everybody yeah. involved, so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I ever got very good at dealing with those kind of situations because even now, you know, in those situations where maybe I'm, there's an opportunity for me to give a little more information like it really is. They want to know how you're doing and I'm giving into it kind of thing. I think I, I might, I don't know if I overshare or what, but I will tell them how I'm doing and then it seems like they can't re- really take it and yeah. nobody knows what to do at that point. Yeah. So. I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of it's, there's a way people speak or if there's anything I can do or mm-hmm. or they'll say things that they mean something different than what they're actually saying. Yeah. Because, and they, it's just kind of, um, you know, or they'll ask, but they really, it's a polite thing, but they really don't necessarily want to to know those things, so. And I would just prefer that they weren't polite at that point, because I, I do, I try to take people, like, if they say the words, then I'm... Yeah. That's what I'm going to take from it. I don't want to dig any deeper than that sometimes. Yeah. So, I don't yes, know. like I said, people are a mystery. That's been, uh, yeah, I've had a, I've had a few, you know, calls from the bar. Yeah. Late at night with some. You got to talk to this guy. This guy went through cancer and he knows what to do. And, <laughs> and you're like, I just say, <laughs> some drunk guy at the bar <laughs> is you know gonna. Has yeah, no idea of you your diagnosis and there, you know, so I've had some, that was probably uh, one of the top ones there was a random guy at the bar that someone ran into that, you know, wanted to, wanted to talk to me and give me some advice, some advice. And that was a good one. So they're funny, you know, after the fact, but at the moment, no. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, um, before you said, uh, you said something early on about the void and. Mm-hmm. What I hoped death wouldn't be. Yes. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I don't know. I just have this this image of... I don't know if I want to call it an image, but the thing I really hope death isn't is, like, you're conscious, you have no body, you're totally alone for eternity in, you know, empty void, basically. Hmm. And I, you know, I had a little glimpse of that when I was first told that I was sick and I don't think about it that much very often but uh, I think I gradually accept even if it is if that's the way it is I ended up accepting it anyways I just was really afraid of it at first hmm so yeah the specter of death is a scary thing to most people yeah you know I know like my dad I've talked to him a lot about death just because of the things we've gone through and you know, he's a lot older than me. He's, well, he's about to turn, or he'll turn 60 next year. And his dad died 
within the past five years, and I know that weighed heavy on him, and he's always been afraid of death. And when I talk to him about death, it is, it's like what I said earlier about how I sometimes feel like the elder because I end up comforting him about yeah. me being okay with death and that it's going to happen anyways kind of thing. So, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about death? Have you Are you happy about it? Not Maybe not happy about it. Have you accepted it? I'm unafraid. Yeah. yeah. I'm unafraid. Right. Yeah. It's... um. You know, you think it, it, there's different levels to it, I guess, as far as you think about your family and things you would like to be for them and yeah. and those type of things. But then as far as me personally dying, I have no fear of it. Right. You know, and that's... Um, there was uh, the first 48 hours as I was dealing with uh, there's something wrong. We're going to, you know, biopsy and find out and knew that it was serious. Yeah. The first 48 hours was... a uh, kind of up and down for me and you know um there's a lot of different things that kind of played into it you know I would I would it's funny because I would look at my kids and then I would have to leave the room and I, I would just start crying and I'd go outside I didn't want anyone to see me because I wasn't I knew they would think I was crying because I might be dying yeah and I wasn't yeah. I was crying because I was just overwhelmed with like a joy when I would watch my kids play and I would watch them interact, there was such depth to it. I just, those moments were so beautiful that I would have to leave and, and I would have to take a few moments and, and I would cry. And so, you know, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm, I have a faith background. Mm-hmm. So I, I lived many years of reckless life and, and so I should have died many, many times in, in things that I, you know, engaged in. And so the, um, I'm living on house money. But, and, you know, that's really why I'm where I'm at now is because, you know, the diagnosis came from, yeah. from excess. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of things to, you know, to think about, you know, the reckoning and the payment of past dues of things that, you know, I've been free of drugs and alcohol for you know over 10 years but those were the things that when the diagnosis came you know everyone pointed out well the doctor was like well this doesn't make sense you're young mds is something that happens when people are usually in their you know late 60s early 70s so you know have you been around you know chemicals or this no and then asked about you know about lifestyle and said yes excessively and so it's pretty clear that you know my my debauchery of the past had now come back, and that that was hard to deal with. Of going, the choices I made long before I met my wife, you know, long before you know, you know, we got married, long before I had kids, was now coming back and would be uh, something that they would have to deal with. Yeah, and that that was hard to go because you know I, I I would in my head I remembered you know had a, a friend that had passed and. Her, Daughter was probably nine at the time, Jeez. close to to my to my um my son, and mm-hmm. I remember going to the house and her coming up and saying, "Did you hear what happened to my mom?" And I was like, "Yes, yeah, sweetie, I heard." You know, the family was coming together, and and then she went out and got on the trampoline and was playing, and it just struck me that this massive life moment is happening to her. She's a child. She's acknowledging with me and then she's going off and, and just, I remember thinking, 
you know, like what's going through her head and yeah. what to watch her play and just trying to, I don't know, put myself into the shoes of a nine-year-old girl. And so that really had an impact. That was a few years, you know, probably you know, three or four years ago now. And so when that came as a diagnosis, you know, our, you know, pre-diagnosis, but hey, there's something wrong um, and it's serious. I had those, all of a sudden I could place my kids in, in that scenario. Yeah. And that was, that was hard to go. They could be coming, you know, and walking up to, to my casket. And I remember being at a funeral when I was young and the feeling of it and going, you will be, you know, so that, that's what I dealt with. Um, you know, as a man of faith, like I was really solid with where, with, with who God is, who I am and what I believe and what I, I know is true. And I, I'm comfortable with, with, um, with that, with my wife the same way, because I know that, you know, the things that are most important, she knows of what, what I'd like to live, you know, forever with her. And, you know, of course, but I knew that, you know, I know how strong she is and how strong her faith is and all the things that she has around. It was my kids that were more of the, of, cause you know, she's an adult. Yeah. So she can understand it. And, and so it's like, you know, how, how will their life be shaped? You know, and so those, those are things that I thought about. And I remember, um, thinking about that. We're out on the, on the river, uh, Bighorn mm-hmm. and, and I, there was times where I would, because I didn't, I haven't cried much through this. Yeah. That day I did. Like I remember being out in the water and just looking at my son, and I was just crying because I had such joy and everything was so beautiful around. And then it was like a happiness, but also like a just the beauty of life and the yeah. beauty of the gift of it and the beauty of my son, but also knowing that you know there might not this might be the only time on the water for us. So there was a mixture of it. Uh, but I remember, you know, I had a moment where like a thought came in my head of like bartering. Yeah. Well, I'll do this if, you know, and it kind of just... I've done that quite a bit too. It came by and, and for me it was once and it was, it was, uh, God, I'll do this if you do. But it wasn't like my own thought. It just kind of came. Yeah. And I remember going, I already did that. Like there's no barter to make. Yeah. Because, you know, when I was a drug addict and alcoholic and, and, you know, I'd been arrested a dozen plus times and I'd been going through this cycle of addictions, you know, for so long, you know, I was in jail in Los Angeles. I got arrested for a DUI and I remember getting on my knees going, I'm done with this. I'm done. And, you know, I said, God, whatever you'd have me to do, I'll do it. And I'm no longer living this way. And so I'm like, that deal's already done, yeah. you know, and it wasn't a contingency. It was like, I give my life to you, you know, and so there wasn't a, you do this, I do that. It's, I do this. Yeah. And that's it. So I, I remember chuckling going, there's no deal, man. Like I've already, and that was, it. and then, and that was it. And I remember thinking about my wife and then thinking about my kids. And from a faith perspective, I was like, well, I would just like to be here for my kids to like show them you know, and to, to walk through life with them and, you know, and, um, to speak to them about the things that are important and to speak to them and, uh, and teach them and about things that are important and to teach them about life, teach them about God. And, and then I just had this moment where I felt wasn't like an audible voice, but it was that impression 
you know, and it was, I don't need you. Yeah. And it was, a, you know, for God to draw my children to him, he does not need me. Would I like to be a part of, you know, being in their life? You know? Yes. And so it was kind of a release of going, you know, um, if you believe in all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God, um, then, you know, you're, you don't need, um, he doesn't need me, <laughs> you know? Um, and, um, and I don't mean that in a callous way. It's right. like, you're just like, this is God. Like, he, he's got it. Like, you know, he doesn't need me to work out his plans. Now, if he chooses me, great. And so that was my process of going, okay, um, you know, I'm going to, I realize I can release this stress of going, I, I need to be here for these things going, if I am here for these things, great. If I get to be there for that, what a gift. Yeah. But if not, these are the things I'm going to do until then that are going to, you know, show um, my kids what I, you know, what's, what I believe is important and for them to know. And, you know, for me, luckily, I've been telling them stories for years. Mm-hmm. So there had already been, you know, stories and things that, you know, hundreds of them that they'd heard and, and, and ones that they were recorded so they could go back to. And so what's interesting is, you know, I know that some people will be very angry to hear me say this, but for me, mm-hmm. cancer has been a, a gift. Yeah. And it, I don't say that for other people. I'm saying for me, it has been a gift. Um, and because there's so many discoveries and things that have happened through this that um, would not have happened otherwise. You know, I, you know, I had the opportunity to start telling stories. That was just the way that happened, you know, kind of walked me into a, a kind of a new, you know, area that w- without the process of, of the diagnosis would have probably never happened. Yeah. And um, it also allowed me to, to share things to adult audiences that now if, when my kids grow up, they will be able to hear. If I'm here, they'll hear me. But if I'm not, they'll be able to hear from me directly because when they mature and they can listen to, to these, you know, That's stories, right. then they will know me. And so that was just a great gift, you know, too. And so I've been able to connect with people in a different way. Yeah. And see, um, that I, I, I totally understand that because for years I've been told, and it, it took me a while to really accept it, I think, just because, you know, after I was done, like, I, you know, technically I'm in remission, so I'm not cured. But when I was in remission, I my health journey was by no way complete i still had years to deal with with uh, the results of surviving it but in the past three or four years you know um i re- i've really been more and more accepting it as a gift just because even though i may complain about how i can't relate to people my age i love the way i love my perspective i'd rather have my perspective than be able to relate to people my age and just the way, I don't know, I, the way I think about everything, the way I do things, even though I may have some insecurities and difficulties getting back into the world, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm weirdly glad that I did get sick because it really helped me figure out me a little more. Yeah. I think it's, 
That's well said. It's a... When you go through... You, we talked about this before. You can go to college and get an education and you yeah. can go you know, into a trade and start to get educated in that. And those are all good things. But there's... Um, when you walk through life-threatening illness, um, you know, it's, it's like that, the show Naked and Afraid where you're like <laughs> thrown into this foreign, you know, um, ecosystem where you have to survive. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you get a skill set in that and it can sharpen you. And it can also, I've seen people spiral and I've seen people go into really very difficult places and I've seen people go there and come back. There's been a lot of different scenarios I've seen, but you said it early. All the stuff that doesn't matter just goes away. Yeah. And that's one of the great gifts of of dealing with, you know, a journey like this is all the stuff that used to bother you, you just don't care about. Yeah. And, and you know, I like to have thought that I was pretty good at, you know, having a th- thick skin, but not really. I just had a thicker skin than the razor thin skin I grew up with. So it's thicker, but it's not really like thick. And, you know, there was a focus of things that I'm like, nope, not interested in that. Not interested in that. I'm going to narrow my focus on the things that are most important. And I'd already done that, uh, pretty successfully, but it just got even more focused and more, uh, you know, direct to connections and people and, and not worrying about, you know, other things. Yeah. And see, I, for people who are a bit older, you know, like you were 48, right? You did have, you had time, you you had learned from your mistakes already. You'd had time to develop your life in a certain way so that if things like this happened, I think it is, well, you, you still have a path through it that is, it's a little easier for you to focus. And, I feel like, you know, when I got sick, I obviously I wanted to be in movies and everything, but I was still like 18, well, I was 17 at the time. So I don't I don't know how to focus my life at all. I mean, I still, I think I, I may have mentioned this, but I'm 25, but I kind of feel like an 18 year old kid who doesn't know how to get involved with the world kind of thing. So as far as getting laser focused, I mean, the only reason I was laser focused at that time is because I was basically told, here's the sheet that's your protocol that you have to go through. And I was like, rock on, let's do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense too, because obviously the, the age that, you know, you have a diagnosis and you go through this, you know, has huge implications on, you know, your maturity level, mm-hmm. your knowledge, what you've known, experienced, all those things come into play. Yeah. Um, so now that you're, 25 you've walked through the super dangerous journey of cancer and and now you have options and things that you would you know available to you you didn't have for the last seven years yeah what um i'm gonna take another quick break here and then we're gonna talk about uh some of your dreams for the future things that you're interested in things you'd like to do things that you're gonna do and so let's take a let's take a quick break here and we'll we'll come back and talk dreams and we are back so let's get started before we get into the uh 
conversation on dreams. I'm going to hook you up with, uh, I love my mason jar. So I get the big jug of lean, a well-paired, and then I come back and I put it in these mason jars. Lean? Is that just the name of that juice? Yeah, this is called the lean. It's got... Wow. Smells very cucumbery. Romaine, parsley, broccoli, green apple, lime, and cucumber. Wow. And it is the bomb. How much of that do you drink a day? Uh, 98 ounces. Oh, wait. Yeah, 96. I do 96 ounces a day. Jeez. That's been um, from the time we started when we got diagnosed. That's... uh, been a staple so uh well-paired jugs twice uh, at least twice a week sometimes more my wife does some here just can't keep up with that kind of volume yeah and well-paired is ridiculous i love that you say we i just you guys have an awesome relationship you and cassidy it's very cool thank you it's um yeah she's she's an amazing woman makes uh makes life uh i mean the way she's handled this whole you know, process, yes, has been amazing because, you know, we home educate, she's, you know, we have a home business and then we're doing chemo and going through all of that process. Um, you know, she's an actress, she works mm-hmm. with YRT and does film and so there's a lot of things that she's, she does and she juggles all of that. It's pretty amazing. So she's, yeah, she's my rock. She is, yeah, that's uh, the key to life. I'll give you this. The key to life is find a Cassidy. (laughs) Very hard to find. That's, yes. Actually, you won't be able to. There's only one, and she's mine. So so that's that. Um, So, yeah, when we broke last, it was, I think the uh, conversation was going to veer into future. So dreams, things you would like to do, want to do, going to do have to do, um, starting to do. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, let's dive into that. I mean, you know, I, the greatest dream, the, the thing that I would love more than anything is to be involved in movies. I would love to be in movies. I would love to help make movies really in any way. You know, that's sort of up in the air at the moment. I don't really know how to move forward with that right now. Um, I started getting into painting, oil painting, last year, and I I have liked it a lot, and I'd like to do that more often, and I'd like to be really good at it, because it kind of, I don't know, I start doing it, and I'm not content with just being okay with it. I want to be the best, if possible. Um, Love that. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. Movies, painting, anything in the arts. I mean, I love music, and I just started picking up my guitar again, which makes me really wish I, I never really sang for anyone but myself, but I used to have a pretty good voice as far as other people that had heard it had told me. <laughs> and my mom is a jazz singer and my dad is a musician, so music kind of runs in the family. So they're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell me the <laughs> truth, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't really know. I feel kind of lost as far as what direction to take because I'm kind of maybe to my detriment but I've been an all or nothing kind of guy and so I feel like if I'm going to choose something I have to really go all in and kind of 
you know, if I dabble in other things, it'll be super minor because I need to focus on this one thing. But it's hard to pick a direction to choose. And I know, like, at this point, I, I suppose if I went to school for film, that is an avenue. But I almost feel like if I was to go to school again, it should be for, which I, I hate to say it, but if I were to go, I feel like I'd need to do something practical. And I, I don't know. I don't really care. Why? Why practical? Just so that I can, don't have to worry about... So that I can get a safer job, which... God, it, I don't really care about because... It's hard for me... Like, I have a really hard time caring about money. And really survival in general. I'm not interested in just surviving with the bare minimum. I want to actually experience life. Otherwise, I'll feel like I've wasted what I was given over the past few years, eight years or whatever. And, uh, you know, I don't want to just, and I, I've watched both my parents because of kids. They didn't totally give up on their dreams, but, you know, my dad is a, a drummer and he's a really good drummer and musician. And he had to get a job to support his family. He had his own business for years, but that he ended up having to close that, and now he does a job that he doesn't like. And my mom, you know, she's a jazz singer, and or just singer in general, and she also had to give up kind of her dreams of being a singer because she needed to take care of kids with a, a regular job. And I kind of watched them struggle with, with that because they are artists and they don't want to do a regular job and I do not want to struggle in life having to not be able to, to fully express myself in this, for the sake of pure survival. You know, I don't want to scrape by with a roof over my head and say that that's okay and just like, I don't care. I don't care about that. So I, I don't know. I would love to get into movies. Not entirely sure how. I would love to get more into painting. And I'm already, you know, doing that. So other than those things, I, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. I'm figuring it out. Hasn't been that long since I've been able to try and figure it out. But. Yes. Well, yeah, you just got started. I mean, how yeah. long have you been actively able, like mentally, say, emotionally, and physically to really get back to the life that kind of got sidetracked when you were 17? I would say March of this year. Okay. Well, you got... <laughs> so give yourself a break. How about that? We'll start yeah. there. Um, I can't. It's hard. I can't. Yeah. I well, feel I the need. I love that um, when we started, you know, you said you did the PA job, mm-hmm. you know, volunteered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I love that because... That's how I think you, you start, is you find things you're passionate about and you get involved yeah. any way you can. And, you know, you can... They're just hard you know. to find. Yes. I don't know how to find them. Yeah. Well, Like, I got super lucky with the painting thing. I probably never would have... I don't know if I should say never, but... The only reason I, I got involved and so quickly is because I just happened to meet somebody at the Y who is a professional painter and has been doing it for decades and we you know hit it off and we started like I mentioned painting at one point or that I had done a painting and he was like hey you should come check out my 
my studio. And from that point on, we started painting together. So, I don't know. These, these, so it just happens. It just happens. It just comes. So yeah. then you can relax and just know that... I'm not happy with that. <laughs> I, I feel the need to find it. To find these things fast. So why... why it seems, you know, the arts, mm-hmm. you know, where you want to go with whether it's music or film or painting. What about expression is so deeply rooted in you that that all paths seem to converge on the arts? I don't know. I feel like I have... It's just in my blood. I mean, my parents are artists. My brothers are artists. Sometimes I don't use it very well. I, I. What was it like growing up in your home? If you say you, your dad was a drummer. Yeah. Your your mother a singer, jazz singer. I mean, there were plenty of days. You know, when my dad had his own business, he also had a room that was, or a room that was dedicated to drums. And so there were plenty of times we maybe I was homesick, or homesick. I'd be at his work with him, <laughs> and he'd take his lunch or just an hour out of his day and I would just listen to him play drums on this crazy monster of a set and you know my mom would walk around during the day when we were home maybe on a weekend or in the summer and just sing and do vocal exercises and she's also good with pastels and 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 drawing my oldest brother he is a very good drawer we're, they, we can all draw, so everybody was just doing art stuff all I the love time. It. And I remember it. Well, I barely remember it, but there's a there's a a newspaper. Well, it's the newspaper, and I don't know if it enjoy. You know that. Mm-hmm. I, my mom has the uh, the page that was taken when I was probably like five, maybe five. I'm not even sure, but she was singing at the Yellowstone Art Museum, I think, and I remember. Being in the crowd, but I was kind of left, I was in the front row and I was watching her, but I think I was with my dad and I just didn't, I wanted to be with my mom. So while she was singing, I, I ran up to her and she got on her back. She gave me a piggyback while, while she was singing and that ended up being on the cover. Love it. So it was, it was very artistic and I feel like that's just the best way for me to express myself and especially with. Like I, I think one of the reasons I want to get into movies is because sometimes I mean we've talked about it. I have a sometimes I have a hard time expressing myself as me, but I feel like if I were to step into a different character, it's just you know it'd flow a little easier. So I think just coming from an artistic family, yes, has molded me. What well let. Tell me a little bit about your dad. What kind of music was he was he interested in? And so what kind of music did you grow up with from his side of it? As far as the things he played? or the... Yeah, like what was his influences? What was the music oh. of your household? Well, he... I... Uh, the music of... Well, I had a split household. So, like, you know, they were divorced. And so with my mom, she liked to listen to Earth, Wind, Fire and things. All, you know, lots of old jazz people and I don't know I, I can't remember all the people I've listened to with her because they didn't stick with me as much as the things that the people that my dad listened to like I love listening to The Who and Led Zeppelin and now Chicago and Rush and lots of rock but I know my dad he's been drumming since he was like 
four, maybe three or four, like his entire life. So if you were to ask him who he is, he's a drummer or a musician, you would probably say. But, um, you know, he he's not really interested in just playing rock. He can play it very well, but he likes... Basically, anything. he likes to learn as much as possible when it comes to this stuff. So if it's like more tribal African beats or some kind of you know Spanish swing or jazz, doesn't matter. Yeah, he just wants to learn it all. I so I've I've had a and there's some really out there pieces that I've heard from him where it's almost not even drumming at that point. Like it's just its own thing. But yeah, I don't know. I've I've. Influences from all directions. That's for good. Our music. That's good. And you, you play guitar then? Uh, no. I'm just now getting back into it. Like the guitar I have was a birth or no a Christmas present when I was like 14 or something like that, and I didn't touch it for like a decade almost. So I'm just now getting back into it, but I am picking it up decently fast. I mean like 15 minutes a day and I started a month ago or so and I can play a song. Nice. That's pretty cool. Nice. I just pulled out a guitar. I haven't... I had a friend that was just a absolute phenom. Yeah. And he he taught me a few things and I just kind of picked some things up. And so I can get around on a guitar and... But I'm a novice and don't know how to read music and I can't sing at all. My wife and her family are all singers and they're, they're, it's just their, their family. Have you ever thought about like you learn a song on the guitar and Cassidy would sing? No. Awesome. Why not? Well, because, um, I I mean, I'm open to it, but, um, but, um, I don't know if, uh, I'm a little intimidated by, by Cassidy and, and her her talents to jump in there with oh. her, but um, no. So I actually I got the guitar out and I started um, just a couple of days ago, and that's so, when I almost thought about bringing it. Yeah, that's well. I've been. I thought you know what? When you uh, realize that your time could be short, yeah. you're like, okay, these are things I really need to do, and I need to. I need to, um, especially because you know the way our life is. I do have you know I read a ton, and. Um, there's times where I fill my time with specific things, but then there's times where I do have some some free time that that I was like, ooh, I should be I should be spending it in the arts more and, and so I've been playing and um trying to teach myself. So I have some friends in the in that the are that are yeah, that are musicians that I figure, well, I should ask them like, you know, how do I uh point me in the right direction, you know? Yeah. That you know. that that feeling of almost like there's a time limit that you have to learn these things that you want to learn. I feel like I, that's still a struggle with me. Like I may have survived and everything, but I feel almost guilty in those moments where I don't know what to do because I'm not like learning something or I don't know, like maybe I will live to be a hundred years old, but I still feel the pressure now to get things moving. And so I'm not really content with, waiting around for something to happen. Yes. Well, I get that. That makes a lot more sense when you when you state it that way because yeah. I feel that too. In times always we mentioned I mentioned that before has always been important to me in knowing the value of time. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely don't want to waste it, but there's times where there's things that I do that 
I have to give a break on. Yeah. Like I can't, which has been nice that I've, I, I want to spend more time doing, you know, drawing, painting with my daughter, um, playing music and, uh, and learning that and then engineering stuff with my son. Mm-hmm. But, um, I definitely feel the same way about time where there, there's times where I'll relax, you know, I'll know I just need some time to rest, just kick back. So outside of those times where it's very specific, where I need rest for, you know, um, outside of those, I feel like a kind of an urgency to, to learn or do things or apply myself or, you know, yeah. so I, I get that. And that makes, that makes sense of your urgency, especially after, you know, what, seven or eight years of kind of a hiatus from from life. From normalcy, yeah. But I think it's, you know... Well, and just that that, that is another reason why, even in those situations where I'm trying to connect with people my age, I keep doing it and asking them more so for my own... I just want to hear what it's like to have some normalcy, I suppose. So I try try to pull it out of people, but... Well, we talked about this, you know, before, so let's dive into this a little bit too is you said you had some you know sometimes when you attempt to connect with people your age Mm -hmm. and that it's not always smooth um why don't you explain that uh well you know i there have been plenty of times in the past let's say mainly these last three years where i'll really feel the need to go out and you know the main health stuff is either taken care of or is being taken care of. And I feel like I need to go out and talk to people and get out into the world. Whether I was ready for it or not, I I would still try. And I just, the people, I feel like, even if they're my age, exactly. Like if I was 24 and I was talking to a 24-year-old, it was like I was talking to an 18-year-old. They just, I couldn't relate to them at all, it seemed like. The things that were important to them were had zero effect on me it seemed like it was reciprocal like they didn't want to hear what i had to offer or even if they had some interest by the end of the conversation it may have been a little too much for them so it ended up being kind of a you know not the greatest experience (laughs) too heavy for them yeah yes um your experience and the things you went through are probably not the most relatable to, to you know most most kids that have between eighteen twenty five right in yeah. that age, you know you've had a very unique and um, unique journey that just gives you different perspective. So that makes a lot of sense to me why it would be hard to to maybe yeah. communicate and connect there. Um, but you definitely have have been on a path that that is not too many people go yeah and so there's huge value there and i think as you talk about the arts and things you're interested in there's so much you're going to be drawn on from your experience that will come out whether it's in music or in in painting or in film whether it's in you know acting or behind the scenes you know there's so much you have to offer that it's just a unique perspective and so you know you have the old soul you. you know, and that comes, you know, through, you know, an experience that, you know, can't be taught. Yes. 
Yes, you have uh you've earned your stripes. Thank you. Yeah, and that's um and it is a powerful thing and I and so I hear you and I hear you talking about the places where you feel like you have you know inadequacies because you didn't experience mm-hmm. you know what others did and I think that's very human and very understandable. But when I hear it from my side, I think of all the value of the things that you've went through. You kind of, you know, for your age group, have been a pioneer through, you know, uh, areas that and explore things that really the great artist, you know, touch on or try to touch on or try to paint pictures of of human emotions and and the human experience. And and you've actually walked it in you know, adepts that others just haven't. So yeah. I think you have a, so much to offer the world and so much to offer the arts that, you. you know, I would, I would, uh, I know I would urge you to be patient yeah. with it happening, but, but also being proactive to go after it too. Yeah. But, um, when you, when you mentioned it, you know, a moment ago, it kind of hit deeper, I'm like, yes, I, I get that. I, where there's an urgency now because of the eight years that you know you weren't able to, mm-hmm. and so I definitely resonate with that. Um, it's just hard because you know right now, even if these these things that I may not be able to express the best in words, and maybe at some point they will manifest themselves in in art form I still have to put the time in to get to that stage and that's kind of frustrating too so I don't know I just I really did not want to spend like the entire decade of my 20s which maybe is as a common experience but I didn't want to spend that entire decade learning just so that in my 30s I can somewhat you know articulate how I how I feel and, and yeah sort of communicate to the world in a way that people are willing to yes. take in. Yes, but it <clears throat> you don't get you don't get to choose sometimes. I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I think that's just a happenstance of it is that there's an opportunity there if you choose to. Yeah. You know, um, what was it in the end of Tombstone when he he's talking about normal life in in which Tombstone? In, oh, in, in, Tombstone? in Tombstone the movie. I can't. And in in and he says uh Doc says there's no normal life, they're just life, they're going living it. Yeah. And um, you know, your life definitely is, is not the norm for others, but it's yours and it's beautiful. And I think it's a masterpiece when you look back that for the last eight years, you know, you've painted a masterpiece of resilience and perseverance that others, you know, can look from the outside and and see the beauty in it, but also not want to <laughs> no one experienced that. Yeah. I guess and, I, I just have trouble. I don't know how to put it in a package that has a positive spin yeah. yet. I suppose just because I'm still kind of recovering and and I don't know. I still feel like I'm living it a little bit, but just because of how much time, even after I survived and had to deal with the other health things. And being out in the world where people look at you and they can't tell, and there's a sort of there's the judgment of oh you you're not doing you're not in a job you're not in school kind of thing and it wears yeah. on you so it has felt like a downer to me just because yeah I've been kind of put down by it yeah and so I I don't know how to reframe it I guess yeah 
Well, you didn't know how to deal with leukemia either, but you did. Yeah. And so you can draw from your, your past experience on being given obstacles. I feel and, like it's and, easier. It was easier for me to deal with that because it was just like, here's the path. I can buckle down and do it. But with the other things, it has to. you have to take other people into account. Yeah. And I have trouble with that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think um, you'll find out, you know, like what was that quote? I think I mentioned this to you before. That I'll paraphrase it, but when I was 20 years old, I worried about what everyone thought about me. And mm-hmm. when I was 40 years old, I, I no longer cared what people thought about me. And then when I was 60 years old, I realized people were never really thinking about me anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think there's a lot of wisdom there that, that uh, I think the things you're talking about are make a lot of sense. And I understand the you know, why you would wrestle with those things. But I think, um, you know, as you kind of walk out this next phase of your life, I think these things are going to drift behind and you're going to find your way and you're going to do, you know, extraordinary things. I have no doubt watching you and, and talking to you that I'm excited to see what, what your next chapter is. Thank you. And so, um, what, um, I think that might be a good spot right there to Call. To, to draw to a close. And, and I think we could definitely come back another time because there's a lot of things I'd love to talk to you about. Okay, I'd um, love to. But um, we, can, uh, we, can, we can wrap there. And thank you for taking time to jump in the time machine with me. Thank you and for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, that's a wrap. Rock and roll. Thank you.